Welcome to Checking In, a Lodging DEI chat. I am your studio host, Oren Stewart. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Once again, thank you all for joining us here at Checking In. I am Oren Stewart, your studio host. Now let's introduce our host of the show, Miranda Kitterlin Lynch and Mr. Leon Thomas. Hi, how is everybody? Great, how are you all both? Excellent. Awesome, awesome. You all have a great show today. Right on, thank you, thank you. Hey, Miranda, what's happening? Good. Uh, I'll tell you one good thing that's happening. I know what show number we're on today. Oh, you do? Okay. So so what is that? I'm 99.9% .9 sure that we are on show number 13. Show 13. Yes. Wow. Who'd have thunk? I know, right? Wow. This is great stuff. I'm enjoying working with you. These conversations are really cool. I really appreciate the opportunity to work with you. Likewise. Likewise. Who would have known that one little LinkedIn message a couple of years ago would turn into all this. One little LinkedIn message. Here's here's proof right here that networking, LinkedIn, talking to each other, messaging, it actually works and leads to things. And, you know, so often folks are, I want to contact them because I want a job. I want to contact, you know, for whatever reason, instead of just, let's just contact and let's, let's see what happens, kind of let, let things happen. So yeah, this is, this is really good. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Folks, if you would like to be a guest on Checking In, a Lodging DEI chat, and come on and talk to me and talk to Miranda, you can send me an email. My email address is leonthetrainer, leonthetrainer at gmail.com. And Miranda, how do they get in touch with you? Okay, you can certainly email me, M-K-I-T-T-E-R-L at FIU.edu. You can find me on LinkedIn. And as always, you can Google me. I'm the only Miranda Kitterlin Lynch you're probably going to find. There you go. There you go. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. You said episode 13. 13. Right on. So tell us about our, our guest for today. So I'm a really big fan of our guest. I have been watching her work. I've been watching her academic growth and she just never ceases to amaze me. Um, I've had the honor of having her be a guest speaker in my class at Florida International University. Uh, her name is Dr. Stephanie Benjamin. She is a professor at University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And she's just doing a lot of really cool things. And I'll, I'll wait for her to share with us some of the, the rest of the cool stuff. Right on. So let's see. University of Tennessee, Knoxville, that's where they wear orange. That is where they that's wear where orange. orange. And they had a really good football season. I think they were in some big bowl games. So maybe we'll talk about that some too, because <laughs> you got to have hospitality around bowl games and all. So let's bring on Dr. Benjamin and let's let's talk a bit. Yeah, it's great to have you with us, Dr. Benjamin. Hi, how are you? Hi, hi. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. Is that University of Tennessee, Knoxville, that's where the bright orange is, right? 
Correct. Yes, we are the volunteers with a bright orange. Um, I went to the University of Florida for my undergrad, so that's a different kind of orange. So I learned that the hard way. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yes. And before we jump into all of this, where's your football allegiance lie? That's a great question. Um, I was born and raised a Gator. So my dad went there. Uh, my brother went there. So the allegiance still lies with the Gators. But uh, UT does pay my bills. So, you know. <laughs> All right. So For public way. record, you're going to have to go with UT. <laughs> sure. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Oh, love, love, me, love me some balls. All right. I well, like I'm it. so glad that you had time to spend with us today. I know you're super busy doing a lot of really, really cool things. Um, would you like to first familiarize our audience for anyone who isn't familiar with your work and what you do? Uh, just tell us a little bit about who you are and some of the cool things you've done, especially in the DEI space. Sure. Yeah. Um, my name is Dr. Stephanie Benjamin. I use she, her pronouns. And this is going on my seventh year here at the University of Tennessee. But yeah, so I focus a lot of my research and teaching around diversity, equity, and inclusion, but specifically within critical tourism studies as it relates to marginalized travelers. I've partnered with um, well, I'm the co-director of Tourism Reset, which stands for Race, Ethnicity, Social Equity, and Tourism. And my other, my co-director is Dr. Alana Dilette, and she's at San Diego State University. And she and I have been working on a lot of different projects over the years, um, partnering with various industry folks, including uh, Nomadness Travel Tribe, the Black Travel History Timeline with Black Travel Alliance. Uh, so we've done a lot of work that bridges academia and the industry to really help advocate for equity within our travel landscapes. So not only do we do blog posts and some podcasts and research articles, but our research also blends into, uh, we've been published in Connie Nass Traveler Magazine, um, in addition to Essence Magazine, and I think some other articles too, but we really want to bring our research out to the public and have it be more digestible than some of some of our peer reviewed journal publications. I love that you're doing that. I think that's so important because we can write academic publications all day long. But if the average, you know, everyday reader can't pick it up and enjoy it, then what's the point? You know, right. Right. For so many of us, it's behind paywalls um, and it's just a, it may not be as fun to read either sometimes, so it just depends on, on the audience. But yeah, we're, we're really hoping to, to continue bringing our work to a more um, broader audience. That's excellent. That's fantastic. Tell me, what brought you to this line of work? What what was it about DEI that, that drew you in? How did you get started on this? Yeah, it actually started um, well, was a little bit toward my master's. I did my master's in sustainable tourism, East Carolina University, but that really bled over to my time at the University of South Carolina uh, for my doctorate. And I was really fascinated by just how different folks value heritage sites. Um, my father says or claims that He's the reason why I am in academia, but we took a lot of trips uh, growing up, lots of road trips. And one was actually um, outside of Gettysburg. And there we saw, we went to this restaurant and they had this, um, you could peep through this hole and you could see it was a mannequin 
of um, this black woman and her daughter who it was supposed to be portraying the Underground Railroad. Um, and that really impacted me as, as a girl. And so um, I wanted to know more. Uh, and with that, I started to really understand the, the true history of the US. Um, in addition to that, I identify culturally as Jewish and my background's Jewish. And so I related a lot to what happened to my family and to my ancestors with the Holocaust and a lot of anti-Semitism into the ways in which um, Black folks have been treated and, and experienced life here in the U.S. Um, but really where it's led to now is this um, understanding, because we do a lot around the Green Book and bringing in now the Jewish Travel Guide which was actually the reason why the Green Book existed. It was Victor Hugo Green, who was a postal service man. Uh, he had a coworker who is Jewish and the coworker said, hey, you know, we have a travel guide that helps us navigate spaces. Uh, this is in the 1930s, uh, navigate spaces so that we're, we're safe and we're allowed. And so I really felt that connection between um, black audiences and, and Jewish, culturally Jewish audiences. Interesting. I, I didn't know how the Green Book got started. There you go. <laughs> and, and actually, it was because of Victor Hugo Green's wife. So, um, uh, oh my gosh, I think Nora's her name. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Victor Hugo Green's wife. But uh, she actually lived in the Jim Crow South, where mm -hmm. he didn't. So, um, yeah, it was his major help to her. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the Green Book, and I only became aware of it maybe. 10 or 11 years ago, right? And still, I had been in the, the hospitality industry at that time, maybe maybe 20 years or so. And I first mm -hmm. heard about it from a hotel guest. Mm -hmm. I was working, uh, managing a hotel and a guest came in and said, you know, have you ever seen this before? I'm like, nope, I've never seen it. And I really think I kind of went, yeah, 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 that's nice. I got to go refill coffee or something like that, you know, real, really quickly, because in the moment you're, you're working, worried about industry. But yeah. as I learned more about it, I thought about the times that I took road trips with my with my parents when I was a little boy and when I was older, driving to college or taking trips with friends where they would give me this advice, you know, don't stop here, don't drive at night, don't do this, make sure you take someone to the bathroom with you, you know, over and over again. And I can only imagine the things that my my parents and grandparents experienced as they were traveling, you know, yeah. trying to find accommodations and needing something like like the Green Book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our, our research, um, we've done a lot around uh, traveling, the hashtag traveling while black, um, meet, we meeting Alana, myself, um, and we paired, we partnered with uh, Evita Robinson, who's the founder of Nomadist Travel Tribe. And we interviewed various members from her tribe, um, in addition to having this large survey data set to better understand you know, what it's like to travel as someone who is racialized as Black. And then we also dived into the intersecting identities within, within that space. And um, you know, no shocker, but it's one of the major themes that we came up with is this need for a new Green Book. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. If I could do one more before I turn it back over to Miranda, when I was the general manager at my first hotel, um, I remember a black family, an older black family coming in and they saw my name tag that said general manager on it. And uh, I got hugs from the entire family. 
like, yeah, we've never seen you before in, in all of our, our years of travel. And it, it made me made me feel so good. So I can imagine there are other Leon style stories, stories out there. Yeah. Miranda. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we've said it before on our show that there just is such a lack of uh, GMs of color, specifically black GMs. So um, now you say no shocker on the, your findings. Yeah. Were there any shockers? from the findings of your research? Yeah, um, well, not specifically the research within the black travel movement, um, but I've done some work around folks with disabilities. So when we think of diversity, equity, inclusion, folks with physical disabilities tend to be left out of, of that conversation. And we did, um, uh, now he's Dr. Ethan Patan, Patone um, and myself, along with two other undergrad students, um, we did a large study, actually presented at FIU on this at your conference, uh, but around the marketing of Southeastern travel guides. And um, long story short, one of the major themes that uh, we identified was this love and admiration and conversation for traveling with a pet but not for traveling as a person who has a disability or mm -hmm. within your travel group. So we saw this big, big, big push for pets and the humanizing of pets. And we saw that folks with disabilities weren't even in that same column. Uh, so it was much more easier to understand where I can go traveling with my dog rather than what's accessible and um, available if I were to or someone in my party was traveling with a physical or non-physical disability. Well, why do you think that is? <laughs> uh, so we interviewed some folks as well um, who are the power people um, when it comes to some of these decision-making moments within their marketing and DMOs. And for so many of them, they shared that it was a money constraint. Um, it's too difficult to identify all the places that, you know, are that have inclusivity or accessibility components to it, where we argued, but you're creating these lists to go bring your pet and to travel with your pet, um, but you're not doing the same thing for uh, folks with disabilities. I really feel like it comes down to it's folks with disabilities aren't seen as people who actually travel um, or that's too difficult for them to travel. And the reality is it's, it's the system in which we're in that makes it difficult for folks with disabilities to travel. Um, and they're one of the largest groups of people who are traveling and contribute economically to our travel industry, just like black folks, just like LGBTQIA plus folks. So we tend to pivot the conversation toward economics that you can make money and profit off of these marginalized groups. But really, we're just trying to figure out ways to be more equitable. And unfortunately, when we talk to more folks in the industry, they care more about the money than they do about the people. Right, right. Wow. Mm -hmm. Leon, wow. Yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Wow. So tell us about you before you went into academia. Tell us some some things that you that you did. Yeah, so uh, I never wanted to go back to school. Um, after I graduated from the University of Florida, um, I vowed never to go back to school. And uh, I eventually wound up in New York City. I became a, an event coordinator for a fashion company up there for a couple of years. 
and then realize this is not what I want to do. I don't care about the napkins being served or um, the celebrities, you know, that are coming. I wanted to do more. And I quit and I actually volunteered for Habitat for Humanity out in uh, Kauai, in Hawaii. And there I met a professor, actually, and she kind of put that hint into my head or planted that bug to explore some master's programs. And I searched for sustainability and tourism and up came the master's for sustainable tourism at East Carolina. And the rest is history. So I just, I stayed in academia because I loved working with people who constantly were questioning and wanting to, to work with the community and, and dig deeper. And then when I was able to get in the classroom and teach, it just, it was a perfect, perfect fit for me. Yeah. I'm Leon Thomas here with Miranda Kitterlin Lynch and our guest, Dr. Stephanie Benjamin. You're watching Checking In, a lodging DEI chat. You know, it's interesting you say after you got your undergrad, you didn't, you swore you weren't going back to school. I know that one of my former professors at Robert Morris University watches our show, and he will tell you that I didn't even want to go to undergrad when I was in undergrad. He had a meeting with me after <laughs> class once. He said, you know, this isn't a correspondence course. You actually have to show up here, is what the what the guy said. So anyway, yeah. So it's great, great that because you thought you didn't want to go back, but now look at what you've accomplished, but now look at how you're helping the industry and the research that you're doing. Thank you so much for doing that, Miranda. Yes. It's so funny. Every time we have a guest on, it always seems that that's, that's the story. Um, people in hospitality or hospitality education, that usually isn't their initial plan and they just find their way to it. So I know that's the, that's the story for me and Leon's supposed to be off a sports star somewhere, our sports coach. So supposed um, to be the basketball coach at UCLA <laughs> right now, winning my third national championship <laughs> with our producers, Oren, Kelly, and Jasmine flocking to my office now to do the interview with me on ESPN talking about the great recruiting class that I have coming in. But I think you hit a nerve. I think you hit a nerve. <laughs> <laughs> But look what a much bigger difference you're making now. <laughs> right on. Um, so, Dr. Benjamin, can I ask you, you said something that kind of struck me. And it, I, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I'm surprised by this. But you mentioned the need for a new green book. Mm -hmm. And yes, I see what's going on around us. And yes, I realize we're about to be done with 2022. And in theory, we should be so much further into progress than we are right now. Yet every day the news reminds us otherwise. Tell me about this need for a new green book. And I can't recall when the first green book was published. So if you can remember that, tell me, yeah. tell me the history, like how long has it been that we still need a new one? Yeah. So the, I'm pretty sure it's 1934 to 1961 was the green book, but please someone fact check me on that. Uh, but it, it stopped because of the civil rights movement and folks kind of said, hey, you know, I guess we don't need one, which was not accurate, as we all know. Um, but this movement towards the research that we've, we've um, have analyzed around the need for a new green book, Marty Martinique Lewis is her name, and she's actually the president of the Black Chapel Alliance, and she created a new green book, uh, the ABC's ABC Travel Green Book. And 
from her information, she's listed all the places throughout the world that um, Black folks and folks of color have shared that they felt welcome, they felt accepted, um, and they felt part of the community. Uh, so this need for a new green book um, really came from the that we analyzed the hashtag traveling while black, the various tweets from Twitter, in addition to various and numerous conversations that we've been having with folks um, who identify as black, indigenous or a person of color. And so many of the conversations that emerged was around racism, was around um, being improperly touched in terms of their hair, in terms of being uh, fetishized at certain places, uh, like in China, having their pictures taken, people thinking that, uh, you know, these Black visitors were um, celebrities of some sort. So having that kind of component to it, that's not necessarily the need for a new green book there. But um, this, this point around especially racism and it really came forward in the conversations that folks are sharing coming back to the United States. So, so for many of these folks, they um, identified as American, an American citizen, and they shared you know, traveling to other places and countries. They felt some discrimination here and there, but the main discrimination that they faced was coming back and entering back into the U.S., going through TSA, um, being racially profiled, um, being on a first class, waiting to get into a first class, um, online to go on to your first class plane, and people asking them, you know, this is first class, right? You don't belong here. This is first class. Uh, so there's these, what we call microaggressions. I don't like that word. I, they're just aggressions. Um, and this has and continues to happen based off of perceptions. A lot of it has to do with our, our popular culture, our TV shows, our films that represent certain marginalized communities in a certain way. And so what Evita with Nomadis Travel Tribe and so many of the other um, Black travel movement businesses and companies are trying to do is say, hey, no, we do belong in travel um, and showcasing the joy behind traveling as a Black person and that Black people do ski, Black people do hike, Black people do love to go on luxury vacations and fly first class. So really trying to change the narrative to be more inclusive and to change that stereotype and that trope. Um, but as you know, it's it's no easy task, but yeah, that's that's where the the need for a new green book to really start to identify places that they can feel welcome and accepted. Mm -hmm. um, for anyone who's listening that's still struggling with this concept of white privilege, um, one of our guests previously, I believe it was Abigail Foster, said that anytime that she travels somewhere, that she will Google black travel to and then whatever the destination. And I'll say what I told her. Never in my life has it ever occurred to me to type in white travel to anywhere, right? Correct. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. that's just, you know, just another eye-opening example for those of us who are still like jumping into the work and trying to learn. Yes. Yeah. And when we say privilege, a lot of people kind of get their, you know, oof, don't, 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 don't say privilege. You know, it's, I, I grew up poor or um, I identify as queer. And yes, we all have marginalized identities. And that's where the term intersectionality came from uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. 
is these intersecting identities that influence and impact how we move and understand the world around us. But you're absolutely right, Miranda. Um, but as people who identify as women, you know, we have a completely different search and safety awareness than perhaps Leon does because he's a man. And so we have all these different privileges and identities that are intersecting at one time, but never do I ever feel unsafe or unwelcome as a white person because being a white person, it's normalized. And that's something that we explored in depth with terms of marketing and representation. And that's what Martinique Lewis does. She also has a diversity, um, the diversity travel score, or tr I have to look it up, I can't remember, but she ranks different types of um, uh, industries and advertising and marketing when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. well, thank so you, Leon, did you? Yeah, I wanna take it away from all of this for a second and ask kind of a two-part question and then maybe even a follow-up. Stephanie, when you're not doing all of this research, what do you like to do? What's relaxing for you? What are, what are some of your hobbies? Ooh, all right, so I love to go hiking. Um, I love to take, I have, a, I have a dog and we go hiking a lot. Um, I like to go for walks. <laughs> I sound like an 85 year old woman, but I love to go for walks. Um, I also love, love movies and television shows. So I do a lot around popular culture, hanging out with friends and family, drinking wine, eating good food. Um, yeah, those are just some of the things I, I enjoy doing. Okay. And talking, speaking of good food, <laughs> have you ever had a Maryland crab cake? I have. I have yeah. had a Maryland crab cake. Now, yes. Did you have it in Maryland or somewhere else that said it was a Maryland crab cake? I am 95% sure it was in Maryland. Okay. But it said Maryland crab cake in Maryland? Then that means you didn't have a Maryland I crab cake. I mean, it doesn't matter now. It's too late <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. I, I can't remember. It, yeah. Reference. Yeah. This yeah. is Leon's yeah. other sore point. Yes. <laughs> the Maryland God. crab cake. Yes. <laughs> you're in me. Maryland. Yeah. But if you're somewhere else that says Maryland crab cake, don't get it. If you're in Maryland, it says Maryland crab cake, don't get it. If you're in Maryland, just get a crab cake. God, and some of our producers, they're in the background laughing at me right now saying, what does this have to do with the show? It's we're just showing personality. That's all, guys. Ease up on me. Well, okay. you know, you, you bring yeah. up a really excellent point because we look at food, right? And we don't think about the history or the roots of said food. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite conversations is around Uncle Nearest Green. Are you familiar with Uncle, Uncle Nearest Green? No, I'm not. Okay, here we go. Have you heard the term Jack Daniel? I have. Jack Daniel's whiskey, right? Uncle Nearest Green was the enslaved man who taught Jack Daniel how to make whiskey. What? Wow. I have a whole, I have a bunch of things I could, I could share with y'all, but long story with that, they were very close in terms of being friends, which is very unique in, in during those days with an enslaved man and young white boy. But um, a couple years ago, I can't remember how long, uh, but her name is Fawn Weaver. She has, she created the Uncle Nearest Distillery, which is um, in Shelbyville, Tennessee. And they, she is the whole entire, the, the whole leadership group are all women, mostly women of, majority, I think women of color. Um, and she is a black woman who owns the distillery and the, the main, the master distiller is one of Uncle Nearest's descendants. 
um, who wow. is also a black woman. So if you wow. love whiskey out there, it is my favorite. I don't get any compensation for it. <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out. But again, you know, these are narratives and stories that that aren't told. Um, yeah. and, and the same thing goes with mac and cheese and uh, um, and she crab soup, right? There's, there's so many of our recipes in the U.S. Uh, stem from enslaved people's, um, their recipes. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. Thanks uh, for the information. Uncle I didn't Nearest know. Green. Uncle Nearest. So, yes, um, his name is Nearest Green. Um, and he was referred to as Uncle Nearest. Um, gotcha. And I can send you all a bunch of different things. Uh, my students created a, a video about him. And I also wrote a conversation piece about him as well. But um, really, really fascinating story. Excellent. Well, my husband like is a it. fan of Jack Daniels. So I think that we're going to have to make a switch. <laughs> Seriously. And they're like constantly sold out. They're so good. It's so good. Yeah, great. Awesome. Leon, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? Or? Nope. Go ahead. Okay. So before we let you go, do all of the things, because as I said, you're doing some really important work and I think it's incredible. Um, but before we let you go, let me ask you, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? Are you reading my mind? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this, is what, this is what I, I love. I love this question. Um, oh, such a great question. What would I give my 20? So I'm 20 years old. 20 years old. I'll give Stop. you a little leeway. 1921. Okay. Stop worrying about what other people think about you. You're doing just fine and life's short. So eat the cookie. I love it. I love it. And you know what? That echoes what so many other people have said in terms of the theme of stop worrying. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And especially as an academic is, I mean, we're constantly in our head. So uh, just get out of your head and just be present and live in the moment and have fun. Hmm. That's great advice. Thank you. <clears throat> right on. Stephanie, thank you so much for being our guest on Checking In, a Lodging DEI Chat. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. We look forward to seeing the next big thing you come out with. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And also, before we bring our studio host, Oren Stewart, in, I want to thank our production team of Jasmine Pollock, Kelly Johnson, and Oren Stewart. Thank you for your great work in making all of these episodes happen. Thank you. And let's let's bring Oren on now. Hey, Oren. How are you all? Great. Great. We had a great conversation. Yes, it was a very, very great show once again, as always. Another great episode of Checking In, a Lodging DEI Chat. I am your studio host, Oren Stewart. Please continue to tune in and join us. See you next time.